0: Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato.
1: The sermon this morning is entitled Church Conflict, and let us have another word of prayer before we begin. Father, again, we just ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit as we talk about um, that those moments and those times when things don't work out where there is conflict, where there is disagreement, where there is confrontation. Um, I just pray that your spirit may lead us and guide us and and show us how to make those moments of conflict, moments of grace, and moments of reconciliation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I I have a a video that uh, I'm going to show you here. Um, it was, I think, made back in the 1950s or so, so uh, you know, pay attention and, and listen. I'm not sure how good the audio is, but it is, a, it is about a two-minute video clip of Martin Luther. How many of you know who Martin Luther is? Yeah, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer uh, of the 16th century. Martin Luther, here in this video clip, will be standing before the Diet of Worms. Yes, the Diet of Worms. Uh, what is a Diet? It's not diet, it's Diet. A Diet is a legislative assembly in certain countries. It is a, a meeting of a confederation of states. So he's in this legislative assembly, the Diet of Worms, and Worms is the name of a, a town in Germany. Uh, worms in, in German actually means serpent and, or dragon. So he's in this town here, uh, the town of Worms in Germany, and he's standing before the Diet, before emperors, before princes, before lords, before papal emissaries, and before judges. And he is giving a defense before this legislative assembly of what it is that he believes. Are you ready? Uh, Can we dim the lights, Jesse? And uh, the volume up.
0: Dr. Luther. Yesterday you admitted these writings were yours. Will you tell us now, do you persist in what you have written here, or are you prepared to retract these writings and the beliefs they contain? I ask pardon if I lack the manners that befit this court. I was not brought up in king's palaces, but in the seclusion of a cloister. I'm asked to retract these writings, but they are of different kinds. In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. In others, I attack popery and assail men who have afflicted the Christian world and ruined the bodies and souls of other men. If I were to retract those, I should be like a cloak that covers evil. Most Serene Emperor, illustrious princes, noble lords, I am only a man and not God. But I must defend myself as did Jesus Christ when he said, as I say now, If I have spoken evil, bear witness against me. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Give us a simple answer. Will you recant? Or will you not? You asked for a simple answer. Here it is. Unless you can convince me by scripture... And not by popes or councils who have often contradicted each other. Unless I am so convinced that I am wrong, I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Therefore... I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other.
1: God help me. Amen. In the May uh, 2016 issue of the Adventist Review... Bill Knott, the editor of the Adventist Review and the publisher of the Adventist Review, uh, he he writes uh, these words here in his editorial. He says, yes, what you just saw is a Lutheran film financed by Lutheran Church Productions. But there's essentially something very Adventist about it. Every Adventist, every Protestant has some of Luther's DNA. Images conjure of that one lone faithful individual standing up against the authority of a corrupt church leadership. How many times have we not been in a position where we have said to ourselves or to others, unless you can convince me by scripture, I cannot and I will not Recant, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. And, and even though not every dispute and disagreement is a deed of worms, yet this experience has a way of, of re-emerging at every point of contest within the church. Disagreements over worship and music, differences over church policy and practice, Disputes, yes, disputes even over the color of the carpet. For indeed, it's not about the color, right? It's not about the color. When is the issue um, ever really the issue? It's much deeper. It's much deeper than that. It's about something more. It's about... And so the underlying question insinuates itself, is this a Luther moment? Should I be intensifying the conflict by here I standing? Or should I be cooling off the confrontation? Doesn't it seem that all too often the powers that be play the part of the church hierarchy at the diet of Worms? Or at least it looks like they've been eating one. For all of its evocative power and heroic grit the Luther biopic that we just saw and its many culture characterizations may actually have predisposed us to an unhelpful and maybe even an unbiblical approach to resolving disputes. Here I stand ought to be used at least once in the lifetime of every believer, but not at every church board meeting. Not every dispute is the diet of worms replayed nor should we quickly transform into stylized roles of indefatigable reformer versus entrenched authority. Bill Not continues, but isn't it much easier to intensify a dispute than to engage in the harder work of grace and reconciliation when our truths collide and seem incompatible? Adventists should be first among Protestants encountering unbiblical beliefs and authoritarianism. But Adventists should also be first among all Christians, living out the biblical model for resolving disputes that rise among us. How about this? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. For you see, we are most Protestant when we put on the whole armor of God. The sword of the Spirit by which we have to cut and chop, but also shot our feet with the gospel of peace. Anything less than this, and we simply become spiritual militants, spiritual terrorists, misusing the name of him who came and preached peace to us. Spiritual militants and spiritual terrorists misusing the name of him who is the prince of peace. Spiritual militants and spiritual terrorists misusing the name of him who calls us to live in peace with everyone. Here I stand will certainly be needed in the perilous times that prophecy reminds us are just ahead for God's faithful remnant. But let us also take our stand for increased understanding, for lowered rhetoric and for greater charity towards those with whom we disagree. So, what does that look like? What does lowered rhetoric, what does increased understanding, what is greater charity, what does cooling off confrontations, what does resolving disputes, what does reconciliation look like? Open your Bibles, if it's not already there, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. This is Jesus' method for resolving conflict and for reconciliation. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says here. If your brother or sister sins, go and tell. Tell him, tell her his fault just between the two of you. How about this? How about Jesus' method for resolving conflict is to communicate? How does that sound? Sit down and have a conversation. Talk with that individual. How does that sound? Step number one, just sit down and talk to one another. Communicate. If someone sins, go talk with them. Speak with them. Dialogue with them. Have a conversation. Say, How are things going? How about that? How are things going? Communication, believe it or not, proper communication resolves about 80% of conflict. Did you know that? When we're communicating on a regular basis, when we're talking to one another, not not just in moments of conflict, but when we're just talking to each other during the day, when husbands and and, and wives are are talking to each other during the day, uh, 80% of conflicts can be resolved. When we as church members are talking to one another, 80% of conflict will be resolved. One of the first things that the devil does is a breakdown communication. Because when he can get us to stop talking to one another, then suspicion creeps in. Well, I wonder what he, what he meant by that. You know, I wonder what, you know, why she did that. And then we're not talking to one another, and so then we get ideas, you know about what it was that he meant or what it was that she did and and, and why she did that. And then the the, the less that we talk to one another, the suspicion grows. And then the suspicion grows and then we start talking to other people. And then other ideas start coming in. Why don't we just say, hey, what did you mean by that? Dissolves the issue right then and there. Relationships that don't communicate are doomed. And churches that don't communicate are doomed. Each and every one of us here should, should have the ability and the comfort and the confidence to just sit down with one another um, and just say, hey, you know, how's it going? What's, uh, what's going on? By the way, I, I was wondering about that that you said. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, you know, feel free to approach me if, if I ever do anything, if I ever say anything that offends you. You know, I, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. Do you think I'm a nice guy? Do I, like, do I look like a mean guy? I'm not a mean guy, right? I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I'm actually a pushover. But I have to work hard not to be a pushover. I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm short. I'm small. I'm not big. I, you know, I don't have a big voice either. You know, I'm, I'm approachable. I'm approachable. You can come. You can talk to me. And we can sit down. And, and, and we can see if we can find, uh, find some type of understanding, some type of, some type of middle ground. Jesus' solution to resolving conflict is just talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Now, now this passage here also presents another um, another issue here of communication, go tell him his fault. It also presents the, the issue of accountability. If your brother or sister sins, uh, if your brother or sister commits a wrong or is an error, approach that person. There is this principle of accountability in, in, the, in the community of faith. I am accountable to you. You can come and, and you can tell me, Pastor, you know, you really shouldn't have done that. You know, um, I should also have the, uh, the, the ability to speak with you. You say, hey, you know, You know, you gotta tell me about this. You know, Uh, we should have the confidence between one another to approach one another and hold one another accountable. Accountability is an essential part of the Christian community, it's uncomfortable holding one another accountable. It's uncomfortable for me. Uh, one of the one of the things I like the least about pastoral ministry is having to hold church members accountable. Having to having to hold my leaders accountable. Um, I don't like having those conversations where I have to approach someone and I say, you know, lying isn't you know lying isn't the best approach. Um, you, you know, you're you're an elder. You you probably shouldn't be lying. Um, you shouldn't be dishonest. Uh, yeah. It's uncomfortable. Who likes to sit down and have those conversations? Yeah? You, know, you shouldn't be stealing money from the church. You shouldn't be taking money off the offering plate. You know? Who likes to have those conversations? It happens. Uh, yeah. You have to stop, stop looking at naked women on the computer. <laughs> you know, who, who, you know, who signs up for that, for that kind of conversation? You, you have to stop sleeping around. Yelling isn't cool. You, you, know, you can't come in here yelling, insulting people, and then leave. That's, you know, who likes having those kinds of conversations with, with people, right? It's, it's uncomfortable, but it is indispensable. The number one characteristic of healthy churches is that they have zero tolerance for outrageous behavior. We hold one another accountable. The number one characteristic of unhealthy churches is that they let everybody do whatever they want to do, and, and, and everyone knows, and, but no one talks about it, and it's a giant elephant in the room, and everyone can smell the stink of it, but no one wants to actually say, you know what? Jesus talks about accountability here. He talks about communicating with one another in that accountability. Other translations translate this verse a little differently. It can be understood a little bit differently. Not just accountability of someone's sins. But also uh, the New Revised Standard Version uh, interprets this passage this way. Or translates this passage this way. If any member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault. Go and tell him when the two of you are alone. So Jesus not only presents the, the principle of accountability Towards one another, but he also presents the the issue of when someone wrongs you, when when it when it becomes personal, and someone does in someone in the church does something against you. And notice what he says: go and and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. That's that's another principle there. Privacy is so important. You don't have to tell everybody about what you think, because oftentimes it's even a misunderstanding. We'll talk about that assumption here in a little bit, assumption of goodwill. But you don't have to go tell everybody about what's going on. Just approach that person in private. Keep it private. Don't, don't spread you know, these kinds of things. Gossip. I think that's what they call that, right? Gossip. You know, don't gossip about it. Talk about it. There's a place for privacy. Speak about it alone. And there's a few assumptions. I said assumption number one here. Um, when, and when we do this approach of resolving conflict, talking to one another, whether that's because we're holding someone accountable or whether because they've done something against us. is Number one, the assumption is wisdom. There's a time for turning the other cheek. There's a time for turning the other cheek, right? Jesus said that, right? If someone slaps you here, you know, turn the other cheek. If someone asks you to go a mile, go with him two miles, right? So, so we need wisdom to know is this a time for addressing the issue or do we need to do some cheek turning here you know maybe if it's the first time of course you know every situation is different right but if it's the first time that this individual did something that offended you or hurt you maybe it's not the time to go approach them about them. because maybe who knows what it was you know maybe they were having a bad day maybe they didn't see you maybe they weren't thinking maybe you heard it wrong maybe who who knows i mean there's a whole a whole lot of reasons why it probably wasn't, you know, didn't turn out the way you liked it. Wisdom to know, God, do we need to address this or do we just need to leave it? Do we just need to leave it? Assumptions, wisdom. There's also the second assumption here in this principle, and that's maturity. Maturity of yourself and maturity of the other person. Maturity that you have the skill to approach that person. You're not going to go guns blazing uh, with the sword of the Spirit and uh, tear them up right then and there. No, there's a certain level of maturity. You're going to approach it um, in, in a positive way. Um, there's also a certain level of maturity that you're assuming on the other person, that the other person will respond appropriately, that the other person will keep it private. Haven't you had sometimes conversations where you thought it was private, but then you realize that there was a, there was a leak, <laughs> and, and it wasn't from you? <laughs> You know, and uh, and then, but you're committed to privacy, and, and so you won't leak it out. But then, you know, it just, it just kind of gets out there, right? So you're assuming the other person will also understand, will keep it private. You're hoping that the other person, when you said red, that they understood red. And when you say green, that they understood green. Because haven't you had those conversations where you say red, and the person understood green, and, and it's, it's yellow, and they understood purple? Have, have you had those conversations, you know, where you realize they're, they're not getting it? You know, or you leave the conversation thinking they understood it, but they really didn't. Um, so it assumes maturity um, on your part, on the part of the other person. And this approach also assumes goodwill. Goodwill. That if I have a problem with someone here, I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I have a problem with someone here, I'm assuming the best of that person. I'm not assuming that they're terrible, that, that they're the you know the devil or that you know whatever. I'm assuming that there was just a misunderstanding. We just didn't see eye to eye. I, but I'm assuming the goodwill of that person, that that person has has my best interest in mind, the church's best interests in mind, their best interest in mind. That we can sit down and we can talk one another, talk to one another with respect, um, where we don't want blood on the ground. We don't want to shed any blood. Uh, we we assume the goodwill that we can work things out. And we can we can love one another and give us afterwards a big hug and kiss. And, and there's greater understanding um, and love as a result of that. So Jesus' approach when you talk to one another has these assumptions, wisdom, maturity, and um, goodwill. Something else about communication, about talking to people, is that it's a two-way street. Um, the two components of communication, guess what they are? Speaking and and listening, all right? Notice, you know, notice Jesus said that when you have a problem with someone, don't write them a letter. How about that? Did you see that? He didn't say write them an epistle, right? Send them a text message. Post it on social media. No, right, right? He says talk to one another. I think that's important. Communication, speaking and listening. Communication is a two-way street. Communication is a learned skill. We don't know, believe it or not, we don't know how to speak, and we don't know how to listen. It's not taught to us. Uh, we stumble across uh, speaking and listening. We stumble across communication. Home is where we learn how to communicate. And if the communication patterns at home were dysfunctional, how do you think we're going to communicate? Yeah, Dysfunctional patterns. If, if the method of communicating in our home was sarcasm, how do you think we're going to learn how to speak? And, you know, sarcastic. If, if the method of communication at home was yelling... Always having a a high voice. You know how do you think we're going to communicate? And some people well that's normal, that's just how we speak. No, that's not normal. (laughs) Yelling isn't normal. Or if you live in a home where no one where no one spoke, you know, then, then you're not going to know how to speak. Uh, you know, and et cetera, or, or gossip, or tones, or, or if, if you grew up in a home where there was disrespectful tones, or disrespectful things were said, or, or belittling, or, or negative, or, or tendency to exaggerate, that's how, that's how we learn how to speak. Uh, we were just at, uh, should I say it? Yeah, we were at Taco Bell the other day. I'm sorry. I tried to apologize for that. I don't know if I should or not, but we were at Taco Bell. The truth is, we were looking for a nice, fine restaurant to eat at, and, you know, we walked into several places, and it just didn't work out, and we ended up at Taco Bell, um, but, you know, the good thing was we ended up getting, you know, uh, you know, two people ate for maybe what the price of one would have eaten at another restaurant. So we ended up at Taco Bell, and there was this, there was this six or seven-year-old girl that had walked in with her grandmother, and then her grandmother went to the restroom, and the little six, seven-year-old girl was left there with her uh, little, uh, little sister, who was probably three or four years old, and her little sister was in a stroller. And uh, they were sitting right behind me. I, I couldn't see them, but I heard the six or seven-year-old sister Speaking to her little three-year-old sister, I heard her saying this, sit down, sit down, sit down, I'm going to beat your little. <laughs> Where do you think that six or seven-year-old learned how to speak like that? That's probably how her parents speak to her. And now she is continuing that same line of communication to her little three, three or four-year-old sister. Communication is a two-way street. Communication is a learned skill. So what I want to talk about here is, is just how to speak, how to speak. Principles of speaking. Principle number one of speaking, be assertive. Say what you think. Say what you want. Say how you feel. Step number one about talking, right? Do it in a respectful way, right? That's one of the assumptions. Um, we, you know, we, we, don't have to put other people down when we say what we think or what we want or what we feel, but, but be assertive, say what you think, say exactly what you want, say exactly how you feel. There is something about being able to say what you think that gives a certain level of confidence to know that you can express yourself, that you do have a voice and that you're heard. That just does something huge to you, to your self-confidence. It just, you, you know, I said that, that, that is what I want. That is how I feel. Principle number one to speaking, be assertive. When you bottle things up inside, it only hurts you, and two things will happen. Either you'll explode, sooner or later you'll explode, or you'll retreat further in your shell, which is also not good. Learn to say exactly, you know, this is what I want. I don't want to go shopping tonight. You know, I don't feel like, you know, whatever it is, just be honest about it. Principle number two of, of, uh, of speaking, uh, be succinct. And uh, this is kind of in a, in a, in a context of, uh, of, of confrontation where you have to sit down with someone. But um, yeah, there's something about being succinct. I'm, I put no more than 30 seconds in, in the context of confrontation with someone when you tell them, hey, I want to talk about the time that you, you know, said this and, and, but ended up doing this. Succinct right? Um, there's a place for venting. Um, ideally, uh, if you're communicating regularly, like with your spouse or with anyone else, that's kind of your, that's your opportunity, right, to just kind of let it go. Uh, moments of confrontation are not the time to just kind of vent and, and, and just throw it all out there, right? But when you speak, learn to be succinct. Um, uh, talking, you know, taking time to talk, it helps. Principle number three of speaking is uh, clarify, Again, in the context of confrontation, um, sometimes we're not sure exactly what it is that we want to talk to. They did something to us, but we're not quite sure what it is. And so seek to maybe write it down. Write it down. Well, what, what exactly are your thoughts? What is it that you want to tell that person and rehearse it? And as you write it down and as you rehearse it, it will help bring clarification. What the real point is of what it is that you want to address. Be assertive, be succinct, and, be cl- and, and and clarify. seek to clarify. Seek to be clear about exactly what it is that you think, want, or feel. Are you good? Are we good with that? And we're actually going to have a little time to practice this. So, so just get ready, okay? To be assertive, to be succinct, and to clarify. Uh, what's the second component of communication? Listening. listening. That's right. All right. The first aspect is speaking. The second aspect is listening. Listening is not silence. Listening is not silence. Oftentimes when I am silent, I am not listening to what my wife is telling me. Okay? It's the truth. Listening is not silence. Listening is not saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, Uh uh-huh, all right, okay. No, what is listening? Listening has to do with attention. Uh, You're looking at that person in the eye. You make some eye contact right now with somebody. Listening is is, is looking at that person in the eye. They're talking to you, and and you are just focused. You're focused on them, all right? Listening. Another component of listening uh, is also your body posture. Move it in a certain way to look at that person. Now, if you're driving in the vehicle, that's a little difficult, right? Um, uh, So uh, be safe when you do that. But, you know, if you're sitting down, be safe as you do these things. And then the other part I said, attention, brain, right? And this is... Thing, brain. Turn your brain off. How does that sound? No, no, no. Silence your brain when someone is talking to you. What do I mean by that? So my, I'm, I'm in silence. I'm, just, I'm always in silence. And, and my wife starts talking to me. What I have to do is I have to turn off what's happening in my brain. And then I have to focus and hang on every single word that she says. I'm not, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to respond to her. Uh, I'm not thinking about what the solution is. I'm not thinking about other things. I am just hanging on every word that she is saying. That's what listening is about. Can you do that? Eye contact, body posture, and turning that brain off and just every word, every little word that she says, or that they say, or he says. Listening. Listening also has to do with acknowledging what the other person said. What does that look like? Repeat what they say, you know, rephrase what they said. Uh, so an example, you know, say um, uh, my wife comes to me and says, you know, I had, a, I had a hard day. And then I'll respond back and I'll say, you, you had a hard day. And what that tells her is that I'm listening. I'm listening. And, and if, I, if I say something, you know, if I say something else that has nothing to do with her hard day, she'll quickly know that I'm not listening to her. So rephrase what was said, and that's why you have to be succinct too. You can't give them too much, but you say you had a hard day. Now tell me about it. Then they'll say something else, you know, and, and then you can acknowledge you can recognize that, that you can recognize and acknowledge that you are listening, um, and it just rephrase what was said. All right, and this in this phrase or in this time of communicating, you don't want to interpret why they're saying what they're saying. Um, you don't want to judge. Uh, why they're saying what they're saying. Uh, you don't want to be defensive. Um, you, don't, you just want to repeat what was said. You, know, you, you had a hard day. Um, okay? All right, let me give you another example here of this one. I was just thinking about this the other day. So a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about uh, racism. And so I had this imaginary conversation in my mind and, uh, where the individual came up to me and they said, Pastor, uh, you offended me by what you said about Hispanics uh, having uh, or you know insinuating that Hispanics have a lot of children. And uh, how do you think I responded to that? What do you think the appropriate way would be to respond to that? How, how about let me give you okay wait, wait how about some inappropriate ways to respond about that, okay? Pastor, you you offended me by what you said about Hispanics, you know, about having a lot of children. That's that's not true. That's a stereotype. And what if I responded by saying, it's your problem, deal with it. Is that how we want to respond? No? Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, dismi- being dismissive of what the person said, you know, that's not it's not really, that's not what we want. Um, uh, what What if I would have responded by saying, well, you know, you're just offended because you have 10 kids, you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is, is, is that? How? No, we don't respond that way. Um, how about, you know, uh, you just need to grow thicker skin, you know. Right, right. These are all defensive, you know, the, the, the defensive mechanisms. No, no, no. So what would be the appropriate way to respond? The appropriate way to be respond would be like, I offended you by what I said about Hispanics having a lot of children. Right? I, that shows that I'm listening to what they said, that, that I care about, you know, what they said. Um, and then I said, you know, tell me more about that. Um, yeah, how, how exactly did, did I offend you and... and um, or maybe not, but, you know, just, just kind of tell me more about that, you know, and, and let the person, you know, say and then rephrase, you know, what they're saying. So they know that you're listening to what, you know, they're saying uh, and that you, you care about, that's how you show you care about the person, by, by listening to them. So no interpretation at this time, no, no trying to find solutions or answers, you know, just listening, acknowledging, uh, rephrasing, I heard what you said. Okay, is that good? Is that clear as mud or what? It should be an insert in your bulletin. If you don't have it, I I do have some additional copies here. It's called church conflict appendix. Do you see that there? I want to walk, I want to walk you through this just to see a little bit more of what what conflict looks like. Okay? So if you're communicating like this, you know, you're speaking, you're saying exactly what you want, and the other person is listening, eighty percent of your problems will be solved. Okay? Eighty percent of your problems will be solved. But for those twenty percent, that twenty percent where your problem is not resolved. I want to walk through this list of perhaps how you can approach that. Okay? Number one, steps for resolving the conflict. Step number one, what is it? Name the problem. Name the problem. You know, that's your part. Identify. That's clarify. What is it exactly that? Number two, give factual examples of the problem. Number three, say what you're feeling. Number four, say what's at stake. Number five, acknowledge your contribution to the problem. Right? Because problems always have, almost always have two sides of the coin. And number six, restate the problem and the desire for resolution. What would that look like? This is what that would look like. Bob, I want to talk with you about the disrespect you showed me during the meeting the other day. What am I doing there? Identifying the problem. You see, I'm succinct. I get right to the point. You know, that's what the issue is. Number two, factual examples of the problem. When I asked you a question, you told me you didn't have time for a private tutoring session. And then you proceeded to wad up a piece of paper, and you throw it at me. And you left the room. Now, that never happens, right? Never happens at church. Never happens at board meetings. Never happens in the home, right? That never happens. Hypothetical situation. Number three, what you're feeling. I feel deeply hurt and humiliated by you. What's at stake? Number four, in good faith, I'm having a hard time trusting you. And I'm thinking of putting distance between myself and you. But I don't want to go there. You see, isn't that what we do when people hurt us? We, right, we'll distance ourselves, right? But we don't want to do that. Goodwill. I don't want to do that. Uh, Number five, Acknowledge your contribution to the problem. I apologize. I should have come to the meeting better prepared. Number six, restate the problem and desire for resolution. This is what I want to resolve with you, Bob. The disrespect you manifested towards me by the private tutoring session comment and and the act of you throwing a piece of paper at me and then leaving the room. I, I want to understand what's happening from your perspective. Please talk to me about what's going on with you and me. Do you see that? How does that sound? Sound good? Sound pretty easy? You know, it takes time to practice and, and, and work through it. Uh, number seven, proceed and to listen actively and speak assertively. Uh, take turns. Don't just unload all at once. Machine gun them with everything there. know. Yeah, just little side by bits and let them respond and rephrase so that you understand the, that their understanding. You want to interrogate reality, what really is happening. You want to provoke learning. I'm open to change my mind and, and, and I'm willing to inf- be influenced by you. And and enrich the relationship. Maybe the reason that Bob reacted like that was because what's this guy's name? Who knows what his name is, right? But uh, let's say let's call him John. You know, maybe Bob reacted like that to to John because John never ever comes prepared for meetings, right? And, And Bob just you know couldn't take it anymore and exploded. so John has some responsibility there as well, right? So it's not always just, you know, it's not just Bob's problem. It's years and years of John not being prepared. So um, I'm open to change my mind and willing to be influenced by you. You know, maybe I I didn't say things the way I should have said it. Um, I'm open to changing my mind, willing to be influenced by you, and I want to enrich this relationship. I do not desire any blood on the floor. Number eight, don't allow yourself to get sidetracked. Often that's what happens. Don't, you know, don't, stay on topic. It's about when you told me the tutoring session and, the, and the, uh, you, know, you threw the wad of paper at me. It's not about what happened 15 years ago, uh, though sometimes it is. But that's another issue, and that's a deeper issue to try to resolve. Get, don't get sidetracked. Stay on topic. Number nine, resolution. In this phase, you will seek to answer the following questions. What have we learned? Uh, where are we now? Has anything been left unsaid that needs saying? Now That's important, being assertive. You know, is there anything else? Is there something else? Get it all out there. What is needed for resolution? How can we move forward from here, given our new understanding? And also don't let the individual minimize their, their role in the conflict. You know, they'll do that, and they'll like, well, it's not a big deal. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. Why are you making such a big deal about it? No, if it's a big deal to that person, it's a big deal. You know, so don't, don't, don't allow them to minimize their role in the conflict. Don't minimize your role in the conflict either. Uh, when we confront behavior with courage and skill, we are offering a gift. Okay. So <clears throat> coming back to the biblical model though, if you do have that sit down conversation with that individual and they don't respond positively, then what should you do? Yeah, bring, bring, a, you know, bring a, a trusted third person uh, with you again in private, um, in private. And then finally, if that doesn't work, then you have to yeah, take, it to, take it to the church um, on a larger scale. Uh, the thing is that the majority of situations are resolved when you just approach the person. Just approach the person. Just talk to them. The majority of issues are resolved you know, without anyone even knowing there was an issue. That's, that's, ideally, that's ideally what we want. It takes courage, though, but it's well worth it. It is well worth it. When we confront behavior with courage and skill, we are offering a gift. Let us seek to interrogate reality be open to learning, changing our perspective, and enriching relationships.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.